Hello, I'm Faisal Terry. Welcome to the Calibre podcast brought to you by the Watchers of Switzerland Group. Talking through the history of the Pilot's Watch, the CEO of the Watchers of Switzerland Group, Brian Duffy, along with Mark Tolson, Head of Watch Buying, and David Lindsay, Head of VIP Sales. They discuss the origin of the Pilot Watch, talking through its journey through the years and its rich history as an original tour watch. So hello everyone uh, out there, uh, my name is Brian Duffy, the CEO of the Watch of Switzerland Group and welcome to the latest in our series of uh, podcasts. Uh, this is uh, podcast uh, episode number 13 and uh, won't be unlucky uh, overall because I'm, I'm joined by my two very uh, lucky colleagues who, who get to spend or spent their career in the, the world of watches. So uh, Dave, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um Thank you, Brian. My name is David Lindsay. Been with the organisation for 23 years, and I look after our um, VIP business. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a labour of love. Labour of love, indeed. Annie gets paid a fortune for it, and as does a uh, head of uh, watch buying, which is our uh, Mark. Hi, yeah, I'm Mark Tolson, head of watch buying. I think I've worked here for about 20 years, maybe. So not quite as long as Dave, but but long enough. Long, long enough to tell the time, anyway. Long enough to tell the time. That's all that matters. So we're going to talk, as a, our previous podcast, we talked about uh, chronographs, and we are, during this little uh, series, we're going to focus on particular uh, types of uh, watches that are, are popular in the UK and parts of uh, different families. We're actually going to talk about pilot watches today. And, um, uh, you know, it is just the obvious, the whole measurement of time and navigation um, are, are very closely linked together. And uh, if you go back to the turn of the century, the, a, a lot of, you know, qualification, testing and everything of watches was all done by nautical societies because the whole thing was about um, measuring time, distance, direction, navigation and, uh, and so on. And uh, interestingly, one of the greatest quests that, that was out there uh, was to find a means of measuring uh, longitude and a bit of competition going on back then as to should we use the celestial skies uh, or should we use some kind of a chronometer that was going to, going to measure. And eventually the chronometer went out thanks to a, a, an inventor, an English inventor, uh, I think from York, was it up, up north? I think, so, it, was I think it was York. Yeah, uh, Yorkshire. Uh, John Harrison, um, who had four different uh, um, uh, versions of his uh, invention, uh, very creatively named H1, H2, H3, and the one that actually qualified and uh, uh, entitled him ultimately to the uh, the prize for uh, being able to measure uh, longitude was uh, H4. Um, so that connection of navigation, time measurement, and, and so on, very clear and very obvious. And as we get to the 20th century, uh, aviation, um, you know, became the mode of transport, and uh, and, and clearly getting uh, getting watches that would work at altitude, that would measure, and would be um, uh, practical in terms of usage and so on for a for a pilot became a, became the quest that uh, many responded to. I know, Dave, you've really looked into the history of uh, pilot watches, so uh, uh, so get us going on that history. Okay, well, I mean, it, it all started in terms of the uh, the Wright brothers in uh, 1903 with their first successful heavier-than-air flight in the USA, but from a, from a watch perspective, it heralds back to a year later in 1904 when the, uh, the Brazilian aviator Santos Dumont um, first was looking to do first powered flight in Europe and uh, he was looking to do that a couple of years later in 1906 but at the time he he, he, uh, 
He wanted his friend Louis Cartier to make him a timepiece that would allow him to use both hands um, when he was able to control an aircraft. Yep. And the uh, obviously the infamous uh, Santos was, was therefore created. The bracelet of the Santos features the little screws on the on the um, on the bracelet, which is 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 an ode to the the, the wings of uh, the aviator's plane, Santos Dumont's plane. So that's pretty much where it all started off from a watch perspective. Uh, from there on, um, history of aviation watches it goes to 1909. Uh, by the way, the flight was 1906 there, but going on to 1909, Louis Charles Joseph Blerio, I hope I've spelled that correctly. May have uh, spelled it right, it's a variety. Uh, pronounced it, yes. <laughs> he was, he, his first flight across the English Channel um, was a success, and uh, Zenith's, uh, the Zenith watch that he had on his wrist when he came off the plane, he said you know, he was very proud and very pleased with the accuracy of his Zenith watch. Uh, and just another point to note that, you know, in, in, in the field of pilot's watches, it's, it is indeed that Zenith who have, have got the patent for the name pilot watch. Yep. So and they... Th my my uh, uh, information as well is that was the first watch, the, the big long strap on, so that effectively they could strap it round the outside of, uh, of the big the, the uniform. Yeah, yeah uniform correct, yes. Yep. Um, so it was, you know, all of these watches, as you said, these watches were, they, they needed to be visible, legible, large, and as I say, yeah, to strap on the outside of the... Uh, That's significant, isn't it? Because it's really the, uh, the Santos Dumont uh, where men started to wear a wristwatch. That kind of set the trend because it was previously pocket, pocket watches. Pocket watches, yeah, yeah for yep. sure, absolutely. Wristwatches up to them were thought to be kind of decorative and accurate <laughs> products for, uh, for women. Yeah. And uh, yeah, th this was the change, and along with this happening with uh, the Santos from Cartier, we obviously had another not too insignificant brand getting into the wristwatch business in, in the UK that eventually became Rolex. Yes. Yep. Oh, for sure. Yep. I mean, coming on to, around that time, following on in, in, in the history, of it, you've, you've also got a, a large a large watch which was made by Patek in 1912, but they actually. Um, it was released in, in, in 1926, which is a 55 millimeter watch. I won't go into too much detail on this watch, but other than to say it's still, it's a, there's two models in the uh, Patek Museum, uh, but one of these was sold for 2009 for 1.7 million yep. US dollars. Wow. So that's their offering of a, of a pilot watch around that time. But more famously around 1927, uh, Charles A. Lindbergh was uh, the first solo flight across the Atlantic. And uh, he, the difference here is he was quite heavily involved in the design of the watch. Um, he used it as a, uh, you know, uh, to establish his geographical um, location. And he did that with, um, with the Longines brand. So the Longines brand synonymous with um, aviation yep. at that time. What do you think of when you think of Atlantic crossing? What do I think of? Yeah. That, that, that word always comes... Well, I always think of Longines because of, oh, really? of this. Uh, I think the, the Lindbergh. I think of the first Rod Stewart album that I bought. Oh, well, there Atlantic you go. Crossing. Why <laughs> <laughs> oh, my sweet angel? OK. OK. First, the first oh, yeah. record I ever bought was Rod Stewart. Oh, no, not my baby, by the way. There you go. <laughs> I, I, don't own any, I don't own any Rod Stewart, sorry. <laughs> oh, well, it's just a So... We digress. Um, the, we, with regards to... The, the onset of the Second World War, really, um, 
uh, exploding in terms of pilot watches and military issue because then obviously other brands such as IWC, um, Hamilton came to the fore. There's, in fact, there's m many different brand names which are probably not around today. But there's the, you know, the RAF and um, the Luftwaffe in particular had, uh, had their military issue um, watches. So that's when pilot watches were really in their pump. And obviously after, after the World War II finished, um, people had begun to you know, be, realise what these watches were all about and started, started to wear them. And, and then funnily enough, when, um, in, in, in 1952, uh, another infamous pilot's watch in, in our industries is the, the Breitling Navitimer which came about um, with the slide rule mechanism. But ironically, the, um, the, the founder of the, uh, the, the Navitimer, the, Willie Breitling, he, he'd started the first chronograph back in 1934, and he, was, um, he wasn't really necessarily interested in making an aviator's watch. And it was only because of the, um, the demand from the, the clients, and at, at that time, people wanting an aviator's mm -hmm. watch, he enlisted a chap called Marcel Robert, to um, to help put together a um, a watch with a slide rule mechanism for for aviators, he in fact his first slide rule mechanism watch was on the chronomat, which was a scientist watch, chronograph, mathematics, but they put it on the Navitimer, um, Navitimer meaning navi navigational timer, uh, back in 1952, and and that has been, as I'm sure you agree, Mark, that is. Uh, quite a flagship model yeah, in, in, in sure. aviation. Now, when you think of aviation today, if you think of a watch, then Breitling Navitimer will pretty much be in for there, sure. wouldn't it? And the most iconic look for mm, Breitling incredible. as well. I think we'd, we'd all say all the complicated mm -hmm. markings actually on the dial themselves for making the, the, the measurements of time and speed and so on. Yes. And uh, that big shiny bezel around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you I know. mean, the... the, the <clears throat> I remember back in the early days of starting in this industry, um, you know, whenever, whenever everybody starts and they want to um, have a look at the watches, I'm talking about staff members here, the Breitling always used to be the, the product which people used to shy away from whenever a customer used to ask about them because they were always worried about how you'd facilitate the slide rule uh, <laughs> mechanism around the bezel. The slide rule is, um, is it can be a, used for a number of things, multiplication, um, to divide, to arrive at the fuel consumption. Um, it can be used for speed calculation also as well. Um, and, and really, I mean, the, 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 how, you'd, how you would use a slide rule mechanism, if you were, let's say, if you were multiplying it, you would, you, you'd put the number which is being multiplied over the red index um, on the uh, so the, the number on the outside of the bezel, on the red index, which is the number ten, which is like the, the reference point, on the inner dial, um, and then you can you can get your um, you can get your reading there. So to just give you an example, if I was multiplying twelve point eight twelve times eight, I would um, get the reference point on the outer bezel to eight o'clock on the inner bezel. And then I'd look for 12 on the um, outer scale, and then whatever that's reading up against the reference point, it would give me the the, the calculation of 12.8. On a slide rule, on a slide rule mechanism, there's no decimal point, so you have to use your. So you know, if it has nine, if it has um, 96 on there, then you know it should be 9.6 on there. Then you know it should be 96, yeah. um, and then. 
if you were to divide on a slide rule mechanism, it's, um, it's pretty much the reverse of, um, of the multiplication. You put the number being divided over the number that is actually dividing it in order to arrive at that. So that's one option. Yeah. And option B is just grabbing your phone and looking for a calculator. That's the option that everybody's been using since 1972, since calculators were invented. Yeah. But, I mean, um, if you want to be really clever at a restaurant and yeah. not have your phone on the table and then calculate what, what tip you need to give the waiter before the bill comes along, yeah. you can use your slide rule mechanism to, to If to you're sitting that. there with seven mates and the, the bill's 96 uh -huh. quid and you want to work out <laughs> how much everybody's paying. Yeah. I just wish I had seven mates. Yeah, and I didn't have a starter. <laughs> but, <you> know, so. <laughs> okay, that's an Abbey table. <clears throat> then obviously around that time in the 50s, we're, we're coming into the jet age now. So uh, that's when the infamous uh, relationship between uh, uh, Rolex and Pan American came into play with regards to the request for a watch for the, uh, the Pan American pilots at the time um, to have a watch which would uh, take into consideration the different, the different time zones. And that changed, in my opinion, that changed the dynamics somewhat because all of a sudden you've gone from the large cased black dial clear numeraled pilot watch with a big brown strap to something more commercial on a steel bracelet with the red and blue um, Bakelite bezel. And, and it was, um, you know, a new day as well in that we'd, we'd moved from pilot's watches really being an important part of equipment for pilots to measure where they were, where they were going and so on, so a critical part of equipment. And really with a GMT, we're dealing with a very sophisticated aircraft now travelling the world, and the whole thing was about being able to measure, you know, different... Uh, time zones effectively and you know precondition yourself to handle uh, uh, jet lag and so on so there was that transition from serious scientific equipment if you like yeah. to a watch that was then going to do a different function there and it became available to them is it was around that time that these watches became available really much to the masses as well yeah but standard issue pretty much before that but 1954 was when you know you could buy a rolex gmt then in yes from the, those days onwards and the remains one of the most popular watch models by far in the world today. today. The GMT Pepsi yeah. remains the, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing we hear every every yeah. hour on the hour every day. Yep, yeah. and not too, from an aesthetic viewpoint, really not too different uh, in terms of what was uh, what, what was designed back then. We, we had yeah. the uh, uh, the two tone bezel that a lot of people think is aesthetic, mm -hmm. but in fact. It's a different time zone. Serves a purpose, yeah. That you're measuring, okay. yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, you know, a lot of people think your GMT allows you to measure two time zones, but in fact, you can measure three. Yeah, correct. So, um, very functional, and at the time, you know, something that you know is really helpful, and it started people mm -hmm. then being having an interest, people travelling around the world, not just crews, but obviously, you know. Uh, uh, everybody in life travelling around the world and, and being very, very conscious of jet lag and time mm -hmm. zone and time difference and everything. And so the GMT really became the bridge towards yeah. world time measurement. And you've got, and, and you know, and, and a, lot of, a lot of brands born out of the, that, you know, the World War II era and, and, and beyond of, uh, and, and through the 50s have, have, have really picked up the pilot theme. I mean, if I think of some of the brands today which have really embraced the pilot's watch, it would be IWC, who've yep. got a fantastic selection of mm -hmm. pilot's watch. They first came about in 1936 as military issue. 
but you know, there's 45 different references of pilot in their range today. Yep. You've got Braemont as well, who uh, uh, that company's only been going since 2002, but they've got some marvelous um, watches in their uh, their portfolio, which you know are owed an ode to aviation. Uh, yep. You know, such as the Martin Baker, the DH88, the U2, and and they really. You know, they really embrace aviation, those guys. And, and the Wright Flyer as well, which had a piece from uh, the, the yeah. Wright, Wright Brothers plane. That's the, right. Yeah, right oh, that, that's actually my favourite yeah, one. That, the rose gold Wright Flyer, I think, is just a, it's a, it's a really cool-looking watch yeah. So of, of the Braemont mix. But, yeah, they've got some fantastic ones in there. So, you know, air travel, uh, world time and so on, a, a great source of interest for... Uh, for really iconic watches that are out there today, and, and just coming back to their the Rolex GMT, um, and, and we know we can never get enough of them, but it is hotter today than it's ever been. Yeah, a lot of the products have got their own nicknames out there. Uh huh. With the uh, so yeah. there's a few of them. Well, the early um, the early one, the early red and black were called the Coke bezel, uh, yeah. but nowadays you've got, or you've also got the um, the uh, the root beer bezel as well, which is. Uh, which is which is you know they've they've if you like they've um, they've relaunched the root beer uh, yep. last year at Basel with the caramel and black di- uh, bezel. Yep. Uh, obviously, the infamous red and blue is the Pepsi to, yep. to signify the um, the colours on the can, the Pepsi can. But uh, of latter years as well, people have been using the blue black um, GMT terminology to as the Batman. Yep. So and in, in even our industry as well, we refer to these models in in their nicknames more so than mm-hmm. than, no, than sure. anything else. The green sub is the uh, it's the Hulk, it's the Hulk and, correct? Uh, yeah, and, uh, and so on. But I mean, we, as, as yet thus far, we probably haven't mentioned the most famous um, inverted commas pilot watch that there is um, in terms of if you had to think of the most historic, uh, uh, you know, um, happening in terms of first man on the moon with the. Omega Speedmaster uh, yeah, watch yeah, back sure. in 1967. Yeah. It was good old nearly... 69, 67 69. Celtic won in the European sorry, Cup. Yes. That's what you're getting yeah, messed right. up with. Yep. <laughs> July 69. 69 sorry. Yeah. I was on holiday in Blackpool. Okay. <laughs> watching it black and white in a, in a boarding house. And, uh, of course, yeah. the first man on the moon was... Yeah, I think his name would be uh, Neil. Yeah. yeah. The first watch on the moon. That would have been his pal Buzz. Yeah. Yeah, good because show. what happened? Why, why was Neil not wearing his watch? Neil left his watch on the lunar model yeah. module, unfortunately, that day. Isn't there a, a legend that it disappeared? I had a feeling that it, it was in the it went made its way into the Washington Museum, and okay. I think that if not still the case, there was a, a period in time where it had uh, wow. it had gone evil. Wow. Now this could be completely wrong, and is obviously completely a. Uh, Unrehearsed and unnoted, but I have a feeling deep in my memory somewhere that there was a period during which that uh, that watch went. Uh, right. went oh wow! Right. Right. They didn't stop off in Birmingham on the way back, did they? Yeah, there, there's a, <laughs> that, that would have been my first bet as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know what? We're clearly space travel and a huge association with uh, with Omega and space travel, approved by NASA. Mm. I think, uh, yeah. obviously, back before then, manual watch again. Yep. Yeah, manual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, autos don't work in zero gravity 
particularly well. So yeah, yeah. it was manual. And yeah, ar- manual. ironically, the the movement, the calibre three to one movement, which was used in the original mm-hmm. Speedmaster, which was discontinued after um, a number of years afterwards. It was a really popular yeah. movement, but it took so long to actually mm-hmm. be serviced that the the Amiga thought they had they had a more uh, user-friendly and uh, movement that they brought into uh, into into play years afterwards they've actually they've actually relaunched the original movement which is going to be happening in in uh, march this year yeah. at the at, at, in zurich mm-hmm. and already so many amiga fans yeah. are talking about that that'll be the, that'll it's be a big talking a point watch, yeah. Yeah, for, for this year yeah the relaunch of yeah. that for the 50th anniversary mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, so you mentioned the IWC range, and they're probably the ones that over the last couple of years have put more yeah. into pilot watches, and, and again, we saw SIH8, some, some great developments there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, so much of their, um, their, their range is, is pilots now, and so they're, they're having to reinvent some of the styles, and they did that, they've done that desert pilot. Which, yeah, uh, Ma- which Ma- is, Mojave. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. like it or not, it's something that yeah, you remember yeah, and you think yeah. about. And the bronze cases on the new ones as well. Which, yeah, the, the bronze case yeah. with the green, green dial. dial and, yeah. But they've done, I mean, they were when they Rainstorm. brought out the Top Gun as well. Yeah, it's going ceramic, back a bit now, yeah, yeah. the ceramic mm-hmm. Top Gun. That went yeah. down really, really yeah. well. That was quite a groundbreaking yeah, watch. Was, yeah. Yeah. They yeah. brought out the Double Pilots watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that was back in 92, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Like that, yeah. So they've got some real mm-hmm. interesting pilot watches in yeah. their inventory. Well, we've got a real limited edition coming up with them. We have indeed, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. my news on that one, but something um, that's to, your... Something to look out for, yeah. yeah. I mean, and all of you mentioned Patek. I actually didn't know that history that they had, you know, went way back to the start of the century, but their introduction of the uh, the, the pilot Calatrava watch Ooh. 2015. Yeah. I, I get one other one that we just can't get enough of, but mm-hmm. uh, but a really great world timer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get yeah. the five, two. Five, two, four, yeah. yeah. In fact, when they launched that, they launched it in white gold, and a lot of people were desperate to try and get hold of that watch in yep. stainless steel potentially because obviously all the original pilot watches were all stainless steel mm-hmm. yep. and then when they did the um, the exhibition in New York a couple of years ago I think it was last year mm-hmm. or a couple of years ago they launched a, um, a 5522 in steel mm-hmm. yep. uh, pilot's watch and the demand yeah. just went off the scale really for that cool, yeah. yep. uh, as happens with most Innovations and units that come from Patek, yeah. as, uh, as we well know. And, uh, you know, closer to home, um, a brand that's really, uh, that you did mention earlier, really got a great association with uh, uh, aviation aviators themselves, as were, as was their father, uh, Nick and Giles Bremont. Uh, yeah, Nick and Giles English, mm-hmm. sorry, that the uh, founders of Bremont, but a tremendous collection of aviator watches. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Uh, and we partnered with them to to, um, to produce a limited edition for Watch of Switzerland with a, with a yep. deep blue dial and a brown strap. It's really good. It's a, it's a chronograph and it's a, it's got a second time zone. It's a really, yep. really great watch. Yep. And uh, the guys themselves are the real deal. They have, yeah. they have a yeah. real yeah. tragic but kind of relevant history <laughs> in that uh, yeah. it was in a... Uh, Aviation accident that they lost their father, yeah. that, you know, and then gave them the inspiration to go and mm-hmm. and develop this uh, uh, this British brand of uh, of watches that are predominantly. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great story as well in yeah. terms of where they got the name from as well. That yeah. they were, you know, the, the name of the farmer that when they had to land yeah. an emergency landing in the field, <laughs> yeah. and uh, the, the the farmer which they came upon was um, was was a, an aviation enthusiast, mm-hmm. and his name was Antoine. Raymond, yeah. and they said, you know, we won't forget your kindness in mm-hmm. letting us land here. Yeah. And 
Yeah. Well, we did have a lot of choice. <laughs> but nevertheless, he's now got a watch brand named yeah, after him. Absolutely, yeah. Well, yeah, well, sure. well done, Mister Braymont. But yeah, but well, thanks, guys. I think it's um, uh, really interesting. It's a look that you know, if you're building a collection of watches, you want to have a you want to have an aviation watch in there uh, somewhere. It's a very distinctive uh, look. It's got great history. Yeah. Uh, we all love the stories that we that, that we know in uh, mechanical watches. So it's. Um, it's a, it's a really good one to have. Thanks for your uh, information and participation. Thanks, everybody, for uh, for listening to this podcast. And we'll uh, look forward to you listening to whatever we're coming up with next. So stay tuned for that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Calibre Podcast. As always, please do subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. We're now available on Spotify, as well as all the usual places you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>